0: to Houston
1: Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for joining me because this is going to be a fun one. Hopefully, most of you remember the Rockets days at Channel 20 and Lisa Miloski. I even briefly worked with Lisa during my days as the Rockets videographer, editor, and producer. And if you weren't in Houston at the time, you still might remember her as the host of American Gladiators. If you've been in Houston for 25 years or more, you'll remember her time at KPRC doing sports over there. I went over to her house, had a chance to hit on all of those subjects. We get into everything from partying with Charles Barkley to meeting O.J. Simpson. We talk Bagwell and Biggio and everything in between. One quick thing on this interview, some gremlins got into Lisa's mic that I didn't catch while we were recording. You'll hear occasional clicking. I do apologize for that, and I hope it's not too distracting, but uh, it's, a, it's a really fun interview. I really think you're going to enjoy this one. Before we roll it, though, I want to take a quick second to talk about our new sponsor, HBOT America. That's HBOT America. Many of you have heard about the benefits of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Athletes like LeBron James. Hey, what's been going on with him these recently? Been a little bit busy. Michael Phelps, Tiger Woods, Adrian Beltre, tons of NFL players, tons of athletes use it for recovery. And you can do it here in Houston without buying your own hyperbaric chamber. Before I tell you how... You can save a bunch of money on this. Let me explain how it all works. It uses pure oxygen under a higher atmospheric pressure to help the blood saturate and absorb more oxygen into the tissues. It promotes reduction in inflammation, accelerates recovery time, increases blood flow. And hyperbaric oxygen therapy studies show it helps with concussions and even cognitive function of the brain. If you'd like to see the effects, try it yourself. Call HBOT America at 832 986-5144 or go to hbotamerica.com for more info. That's hbotamerica.com. And hey, this can do far more than help athletes. Just Google the benefits of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. I've been a regular at the HBOT America location on Kirby by NRG Stadium. The people over there, they're awesome. They're going to treat you right. If you mention Houston Sports Talk, you'll get a 25% discount on all of their services. Or you can go to the website and use the promo code. HST25, that's HST as in Houston Sports Talk, 25 as in 25% off. In case you forget any of that, look for the promo in the description of the podcast.
0: Lisa Malosky is at the summit. Let's go to her with the latest. Lisa. Hey gang, what a ball game. 94-83, the final Rockets win. They are headed to the Western Conference Finals. I am standing outside the Rockets locker room, as you can see behind
1: me. Well, it's hard to believe, but it's been nearly 16 years since uh, I worked with my last guest uh, with the Houston Rockets on the telecast with Channel 20, Lisa Moloski, and she worked has worked for over a decade. Most of you remember her for her days at, at Channel 2, KPRC as a sports reporter and anchor, and also work in the Rockets games for Channel 20 as a studio host and a reporter and Lisa I'm going to forget some of this stuff but it was it was you've worked at NBC on the national telecast doing college football the NBA on NBC what else what give me some more of the resume
0: well I arrived here in 1991 to work at channel 2 KpRC the NBC affiliate um, I was the weekend sports anchor and reporter and then after four years I joined the Rockets as the studio host and sideline reporter and during that time because the NBA season is not a full-time job necessarily. Um, it, it isn't; doesn't go year-round. I got inquiries from, you know, as it generally does. Someone knows you. He was, I think, with Fox at the time. But anyway, yes, it was Fox because he asked me if I was if I would be interested in doing sideline for a college football package, a national package. Um, and so that's where I started, kind of freelancing off the Rockets' job and doing um, national packages, Conference USA, uh, Big Twelve. Pac-10, three different football seasons, uh, national broadcast for Fox Sports. It was Fox Sports Net national, not not the local. And then um, I also that's when I started working for NBC. Uh, TNT started TNT the NBA playoffs on TNT. I met the TNT producer at an Oilers game on the <laughs> sideline. It was funny because he was there obviously for some reason for the game and we struck up a conversation and when i left channel two and started working for the rockets somehow he got back to me and said hey would you be interested in doing sideline for the nba for tnt on during the playoffs and that started a run with tnt for a few years well it just feels like you
1: stepped into like almost everything and it all happened in in a way overnight didn't It, it
0: well it did and it it well i was the first female with a regular slot in Minneapolis. I was the first female. Anita Martini was before me here, and and unfortunately she passed away shortly after I got here. She had cancer, and that's one of the few regrets I have in my career, but that I didn't get to know her more. I was blown and going when I got here, and she was slowing down because she was so sick, so I didn't really get an opportunity to Spend time with her.
1: And she was just such a trailblazer. I mean, oh my she, gosh. as far as-
0: First she, woman in the locker room.
1: Yeah, is what I was going to say. And, and, and I think uh, it's unfortunate. I think she should be remembered more. And you know, we, we want to talk to Rockets in your time uh, with, with all the other sports in Houston, but that's definitely one of the questions I wanted to ask you because you know, you were the first female. And so in so many of these places, you were doing this um, at a time where there wasn't quite as many as you see today. Now now you see females just everywhere, uh what was it like back in that time to be a female and and, and going in a locker room on a regular basis were, were you nervous going into the locker room i mean did you feel like uh good this is this is crazy i go in the locker room the guys they're taking off their clean I <laughs> all this stuff is, is is weird for anybody guys included you're but right much less.
0: and you know what that's exactly the point robert i think one of the things that made it not a big deal for me on, on one level, is the fact that I grew up as an athlete. I was a three-sport athlete. My father was a college football coach. And honestly, on Sundays, um, he was at the University of Minnesota Duluth, DT, D2 coach for 40 years. His name's on the stadium. On Sundays, after church, we as a family, I was the oldest of four, my mom and dad and the four kids, we'd go over to UMD and, because it wasn't open. And he, you know, we'd go in with my dad through the locker room. <laughs> so from a very young age, I had been in men's locker rooms Albeit I wasn't working there and there was no one in there, but I distinctly remember the sights, the sounds, and the smell of the locker room, particularly after games. It was back in the day where, you know, D2 football, they had the hangers hanging from the ceiling and their uniforms were still there drying out and the helmets. And I mean, it was crazy. So we'd go work out and then my dad would have my mom and there were three girls. Um, we'd shower in the men's, the coaches shower and my dad and my brother would go in the main shower so i was showering in the locker room as well so honestly
1: but when you were a kid you weren't seeing guys stuff hanging out but
0: and then you (laughs) and then it brings me to the first time i walked into the rockets locker room because before i got to houston i wasn't um i wasn't in any locker rooms so i walked in and then i remember the first interview was otis thorpe and he's such a nice guy but i was very nervous i was extremely nervous because. I didn't want to look around that group of guys though was so great. I mean, it was Kenny Smith and Otis Thorpe and Hakeem Olajuwon and Mario Ellie. We were all the same age. And I think that one of the things that helped me is that athletes know athletes. And because you know, I'm eleven, um, I knew what I was talking about. They were respectful. I say this to young women, well, in the past when people would ask me advice and I just said, you, you get as much respect as you demand. And so I always felt like, you know, I wanted to dress appropriately and I knew jocks. I've been around them all my life. I've been an athlete. And so I didn't dress provocatively. And I'm not saying women can choose and present themselves any way they want. But I went in as an athlete talking to an athlete. It just happened to be my job. So I remember talking to Otis and my hand was shaking on that microphone. Um, But he was, he probably was just as nervous as I am because there hadn't been a lot of women in the locker room. Um, And so, you know, once I got that first one under my belt, um, I just really made it a point to focus on my job and focus on the questions. And I'd ask the questions and get in and out of there. And for the most part, guys, especially in an NBA locker room, I mean, I was at least had a towel on, but most of the time they tried to get dressed. They know when the media is coming in, they say, you know, they know they're opening the doors to the media. The hardest locker room, honestly, was the Oilers locker room because there are so many guys, you know, you'd be interviewing someone on one side of the locker room and then guys are trying to get in the shower. So you accidentally turn around and there's poor guys, you know, there they are or intentionally walking naked as can be right into the shower. But, you know, I mean, part of the job, honestly, I think that part was—it didn't afford a lot of respect either way. I mean, I think I think it's not exactly um, respectful to the male journalists either, either to be standing there naked. I mean, Chris Dishman would stand there, buck naked all the time, wanting to do his interview. And I eventually just said, I don't really need the interview that badly. <laughs> I am not going to stand here while he's naked. You know, I would be behind people, so I wasn't. Didn't, couldn't see anything but whatever you know yeah. part of the job
1: and, and and I mean uh you get here you get to Houston and uh, this is 1991 and the teams here in Houston are just not quite winning championships it's uh just not it, quite it's just it's gotten so close and you know I grew up with all of it and have all the scar tissue from <laughs> it but the Astros in 80 and 86 and the Rockets right. in 81 and 86 and they were all they all got so close and then you get here, and then if it couldn't get any worse, it did, because the Oilers, oh. for three straight years, they get to the playoffs. Uh, they play against first, I think it was the Denver Broncos, and they're up 21-6, to six, if I remember right. Then, of course, there's the legendary Buffalo Bills game. Did you cover the Bills game? Were You, I, you that- know
0: what? I was in the studio. And I had to – I was in the studio and, and had to talk about that game afterwards. It was just like, oh, my God, I was a Channel 2. It was just unbelievable. But, Robert, you bring up a really interesting point. I didn't grow up here. I grew up in Minnesota. I felt like I was here for such an exciting time because Jeff Bagel won Rookie of the Year. and um,
1: But in Minnesota, they, they do know – what Houston was going through oh, because, because they had gone through it with the Vikings and you're the four exact- Super Bowls, oh, and you grew up in Duluth, times. which is like was it like two and a half, three hours yes, from North. from Minneapolis yeah, exactly. or something like that? Yeah. But Minnesota the had just <laughs> the Twins finally won in '87, so they they win right before you leave, yes. so you knew that what that elation exactly. would be like for a, for a city.
0: Exactly. No, you no, know, you're exactly right. I'm saying though, just being here, I was it was so exciting because Houston was just kind of coming back to life. 1991 coming back after a, you know a tough time in the oil. You know, like we hit again after that, but there was this kind of unique energy here. And Warren Moon, I still remember all those guys: Doug Dawson and Mike Munchak and Bruce Matthews. Again, another group of—they were bright, nice, respectful. Again, we were all the same age. It's just kind of interesting because we've all grown up together. Um, Ray Childress and that, and, and Warren Moon, um, Ernest Givens and Haywood Jeffries it was really fun to be at those games on the sideline and then covering the game. I mean, I, I, for me, um, William Fuller, he was funny. Uh, nice guys.
1: Uh, the Oilers were full of characters at that time. You walk in and it's Bud Adams is the owner. And oh you've my got, gosh. You know, the Lad Herzig years and all, I mean, you had yes. all of these guys that were almost bigger than life and it was, it, there was something almost every day. They did the great documentary on the 93 Oilers and everything that went yes. on there on NFL network and you saw that part as it well, did. right? The Buddy Ryan stuff.
0: Absolutely. Buddy Ryan. You know, I loved Coach Pardee. I mean, he was just on a personal level. He was so great to me. And he was so kind and patient. And as soon as he found out my dad was a, a coach and um, it's back in the day before you could Google and find out as much information as you want. But he was wonderful. It was exciting and fun. I was 29 when I first got here. So it was like a dream come true to be able to do this. And I felt that people in Houston were excited about a woman. I I was warned I had a terrible boss, a terrible person who was just above me. Um, When I left Minneapolis, I had to quit that job because they didn't want to let me out of my contract. And it was just an opportunity. Uh, My agent was Todd Musberger, Brent's uh, younger brother. And Texas is a right-to-work state. So, I mean, I took a chance. I had to quit that job and hope that Channel 2 held the job open for me, and they did. Um, so that was, whew, wow, I, I sweat out a few, uh, a couple months before we got everything in place. This was mine, it in Minneapolis? It was, uh, well, KSTP was the ABC affiliate. It was the all-news channel. Um, I worked for KSTP and the all-news channel. The all-news channel was this organization. That's where Craig saw me. It was a feed, like a CNN that stations could pay for. So they would pick up the feed and use that overnight. So they could have news on overnight if they paid for this service. So instead of a CNN, they had the all news channel, which would run in the overnight hours. And so um, that's where Craig saw me on the air. But um, he said to a girlfriend of mine, those knowing that I would, hear the words those good old boys in texas are going to eat her alive and you know it's kind of like those things that you put up on the bill on on the boards that play the the teams do the motivation (laughs) it's like i'll show you um so
1: you know i was and uh, i and i know craig too because i worked with him right after i worked with you here at houston for a few years and craig uh he's got a lot of masculinity to him but craig has a good sense of humor at all times great
0: sense of you know what craig roberts took my sister came with me to interview for the job and Craig took us out to dinner I mean he's charming he's funny he's smart I enjoyed that I remember that when I got to um channel two you know I've been working in news four or five years before I started doing sports and I also was the weekend news anchor at, at you know in my hometown so I was the producer of the show and all so I read over every script. I had the reporters who worked for me on the weekends, you know, they would come and show me their scripts and make sure it was right before they recorded it, etc. When I got to channel two, I remember walking up to Craig, like the first package I was going to do. And I said, Hey, Craig, do you want to look at my script? <laughs> he looked at me like, well, I mean, I guess I can. I mean, you don't need to show me your script. I would just, you know, sports is a whole different world than news. It's like, you know, just put it together no one really cared that much in the big picture and compared to news back in the day it's kind of like hey sports did their own thing you guys just go to town and craig was a great leader in that he was just good at what he did i mean craig was a good writer and and he was funny and irreverent and um, because he pushed the envelope and because he was creative the rest of us you know rose to the occasion we had a great sports team we had bart anis whose father as you well know, was a legend here. So Bart was working there. Spencer Tillman, who was a professional athlete, and he was African-American. So that was awesome. And then they had a woman, me and Craig, you know, old school Craig. And, um, and
1: all those guys. I mean, I know all those guys. They've all been awesome. on on our podcast here, and we've had them all on as guests. And, and I've known them for years, and they're also... Not only are all those guys really smart, they're really quick, and you've got to be quick just to hang in there when (laughs) you're having a conversation with them.
0: You know, it's so true, and that's what made that sports department fun. We were; It was so unique. We just kept on each other's toes, and I think I was uniquely ready and qualified for that role because I had been around those kind of guys all my life, with my father being the head football coach, Coach, coaches and athletes around our house athletes tend to be that way you know they're they are they're quick and witty and they're sharp and challenging and you know they kid you and you can't have soft you have to be tough yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not take things personally so yeah. I mean listen I, I I am so grateful for the opportunities I had.
1: What do you remember not only just about watching a young Jeff Bagwell and Craig Biggio, but being around them, talking to them in the locker room? What was it like? What was that locker room like with, with those guys? And, you know, is, what's your favorite story from that period with the Astros?
0: Well, I did the fantasy camp, which was, oh my gosh, hilarious. Craig did it one year. The Astros fantasy camp was what people could pay to go and you get the whole Astros uniform and then you get out there and you spend three days with. Phil Negro and the ex-Astros. Ex oh, it was...
1: And Jeff, and, Jeff and Craig names. were involved with this. Well,
0: and and those guys, they, they were on the periphery. Okay, I, But that was one of the things. Only because baseball was my weakest sport. Because my brother played and was a great pitcher. And my dad was manager for all the, those young teams. So I watched a lot of baseball. But I never played. I played one year of softball. So I felt that I was weakest at baseball because I hadn't played the game. But when Jeff won... um. So I was horrible, by the way, at that fantasy camp, but it was, they, we had fun. Cause of course I was the only woman. Oh my gosh. Um, when Jeff won that rookie of the year, Jeff's just a little bit younger than I am. And I remember that he was so, he, he struck me as being so kind, so small town. And I just knew life was going to change for him in such a huge way. They were just really nice guys, but they were very focused you could see what it takes to be great that you don't let the extra stuff you don't get mess around with too much of the periphery that happens around professional sports teams you stay focused on your job and um and you work hard you're a good teammate they were always respectful to the media patient with interviews and the astros locker room was easy i mean they were always prepared when they doors opened the guys knew why you were there. Yeah. And that, there was some craziness, Ken Caminiti. Yeah, I was about, was about to say. He was exactly the person I was about to say,
1: <laughs> Ken Caminiti.
0: But Ken was, he was just, I want to say simple, not in, a, not in a disrespectful way. But he, you just could spend a couple minutes talking to Ken. He knew what you're dealing with. He's just, he's kind of a kid. And I think he always wanted to be kind of a kid. That's kind of what you got in an interview with him, too.
1: All right. Now, to me, the big thing is the Rockets, because that's what I relate to with you. And I think a lot of people, because you you did the studio and the reporting for for several years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was it 96 to 2003, something like that? It
0: was right after they won. So, right after they won their second championship, which was the spring of 95. Uh, or, you know, May, whatever, and then I started working that fall for the Rockets. So '95 until 2003 was my last year.
1: So what was that like to see them win the championship, the first championship uh, in any major sport in Houston history? After being around those guys, and I, and I, I guess the guy that I, I really feel like that you probably related to more than anybody with the Rockets was a guy who was from the Upper Midwest, really? from the same area. <laughs> from Hamtramck, Ham-traffic. Wisconsin. Tom Michigan, actually. I mean, yes, wait, wait, wait. I'm from yes, yeah. Michigan from uh and, and you're from Duluth, so you right. guys probably uh had a lot in common to see him and and the celebration with him, but also obviously with dream and and everything that he had been through as well. It, it
0: was amazing. And I was thinking a lot about it just because how close the Rockets got um this year. And talked to a lot of people about You know, a lot of people came up and asked me, oh my gosh, you know, they wanted to talk about it, but Rudy was a joy and Don Chaney was the coach when I first was here. And then Rudy didn't want that job. I mean, he just, Rudy likes to be behind the scenes. He's just a low key, good guy, you know, Midwestern guy. And he was a little hesitant at first, wasn't really didn't like the spotlight, didn't like all those microphones in his face and people interviewing him and asking all these questions. But he, he grew into it. He was with the perfect group of guys because Dream and Otis and Kenny and Mario. Uh, and then, you know, Clyde came for that second championship. I mean, their only outlier was Vernon Maxwell. And he's a nice guy. He just, well, you know, yeah. we had... He's- they He's a little, the,
1: could be crazy at he times, was, but he could be, but, he but he was, you like dealing with him and the as yeah as...
0: he was fine he was good he was a nice guy they they all got along um they they knew their roles and it's a small group you know I mean the, an, an NBA team is a small group of guys they knew their jobs and they did it and Rudy coached them on the court but there was a lot of freedom I think he gave them a lot of freedom to he respected that they were adults you know to some extent and they handled themselves well and you didn't really have a lot to worry about it was an amazing time the, the year before i joined the rockets when they won the championship i was working at channel two and craig and i for those two years they sent craig and i everywhere we went to we, we did sports sunday we did live shots we did everything so we were with the team a lot so when they hired me after that i had been around the team a lot ironically for both championships, I was in Los Angeles taping the Gladiator Show because I yeah, did wow. that show I'm for we're going to ask you about years. that. We're going to ask
1: you about that in a little bit, <laughs> and we'll
0: go back. But so, uh, but then to join the Rockets after those two championships was so exciting. We were on Channel 20, as you. It's so funny because after 20, that we moved like two or three times. They had the hot item, so they were. I, I'm not really sure. I wasn't involved with the behind the scenes, but Channel 20, our numbers for post-game shows on Rockets Games, beat every local 10 p.m. news show. They were through the roof. I mean, which is why people still come up and talk to me all the time, especially people, you know, beyond 40 years old. (laughs) But... We had, um, everybody watched the Rockets, and, and they were over the air. They didn't have to have cable television because they were on Channel 20. Not only did they watch the games, they wanted to stay and listen to us talk about it. You know, funny thing was, Kenny Smith I had as a guest many times. He joked to my husband. He saw him at an airport once. She taught me everything I know, which, of course, haha. But, you know, I mean, that's where these guys would have them on the show. A lot of the writers and people like that who'd come on and join us and talk about, you know, kind of a recap of... Okay, what happened tonight?
1: Did they stick you? Um, I don't even know this. Did they stick you in the middle of the parades? What did you have to do when the parade was going on? What, were you in any of the madness out on the street having fans like jump jump on camera you with know what? you? It's
0: funny that, um, oh, after we won. You know, I was, I have a picture. We They brought us the trophy. We were going live, but we were in the tunnel underneath, you know, like at the old compact center Yeah. in the of the vomitory, you know yeah. uh that's where we were doing live shots so um but I did get caught no one knew I was there but I was trying to get out trying to drive out and I ended up on Richmond Avenue it's like know. oh my god I was really kind of scared because I was by myself so I mean I did get through it was fine I must have the timing of me I, I got out I think before it got too crazy but I was on the I was on the fire truck with the team I guess because they hired me before the um because why else would I have been on there? Because uh, anyway, I was on the truck with Clyde and the guys yeah, This was in the
1: second championship. Second
0: championship going down Memorial Drive. We I remember we parked over the memorial and I was on the fire truck. I mean, it was just like I mean, do you get wow. emotional
1: after the first championship since you you're you're following these team, you know the guys or You just trying to do your job as as you're going through all this? Like, what what was your emotions as you're seeing all this uh, unfold? Oh,
0: I think without question, both Craig and I, and Craig, you know, he's a longtime sportscaster. You can't help but be just so excited and happy. You know, when we were on the air, we were rah-rah local. You, You know, you forget that you're supposed to be objective because it's the hometown team. And then, actually, we were watching that championship, my husband and I, from Los Angeles, um, that was the O.J. thing.
1: Yeah, so you when so they're in New York, the, the, the Rockets <laughs> are New York, was, but you're not in New York. No, you're, you're I'm in LA. Los
0: Angeles taping the Gladiators, and Don, at my husband, and I were wa- happened to be watching the game, of course. And this, but we're in L.A., so this whole O.J. thing explodes, and so we're watching this happen. It's just like surreal. And of course, I had met O.J. Simpson. He worked for NBC, and I had met him um, at, at the you know, the station a couple times, but I mean, I didn't know him, but those of us who grew up as fans, of course, everybody, I was a huge OJ
1: Simpson fan. And, and you found him as just charming, just like everybody, like we would see, or how was he when uh, you met You it? know,
0: it's funny when I met him, honestly, he was that kind of guy who wanted you to know they were sizing you up. You know, I mean, let's be honest. I came, he gave me the once because over, the up f- and down. Female. I was a female, yeah. right? And he walked in, and was like, oh, and he gave me the once up and down and just... I, honestly, I was a little disappointed because I was such a huge fan of O.J. Simpson. I just kind of wanted him to be a little more highbrow than what you might expect. What was but. the
1: reaction? You're doing gladiators. What? What's going on when the O.J. things? Are you so you're taping? Is this? Is this do they well, stop no, taping? Well, no. We
0: actually we must have. I don't know if we had a day off that day. We would tape two or three days in a row, and then we'd have a day or two off. Usually just a day. That may have been an off day. I, I know that we were in the hotel watching the TV. So. We, we weren't taping that day, but of course, you know afterwards everybody's talking about it we had to keep we had to keep doing our job, but that day that it was happening, we weren't working, so we were mesmerized by you know we quite honestly we wanted to see the game more than we wanted to watch <laughs> yeah. the whole drama unfold but um but yeah, craziness. Um, two things to be in Los Angeles when that's happening. And
1: what what about the American Gladiators? Now, the the story, if if I remember correctly, somebody saw you or talked to you when the Gladiators were trying out here yeah. in Houston. They had they were doing tryouts. Somebody met you there, and then you just get a call a year later, saying that we we would like you to do co host the show.
0: I remember that. It- We did a uh, piece for the the news, the sports cast, And Ken Hoffman, who's just a huge, like, gladiator fan, he was funny. He wrote a column about it and, you know, made, made a deal about it. So then that went away. But I don't know if it was a couple months afterwards or a month afterwards. I get a call, cold call into the sports department. Someone put it through to my desk. Someone's looking for me. And the person on the line said, I'm so-and-so with the American Gladiator show in Los Angeles, and we're looking for Lisa. I said, this is Lisa. Oh, are you calling because you want footage? You want something that we shot that day, I'm assuming. And he goes, well, no, we're looking for you. And I said, for me? And he said, we are looking for a female co-host for the job. And Samuel Goldwyn saw you interviewed on national public television. It was a spot that the national public... TV had done on Title IX, which was the legislation that gave girls access, women access to the same kinds of um, sports opportunities that that men had. So I had been interviewed as an athlete, a former athlete on this spot. And Samuel Goldwyn saw it. I, I was up for 15 seconds, but he was in Los Angeles and saw me interviewed for that and told his people to find me. They didn't even know that I'd done a piece on the gladiators here in Houston. So it was totally random that they, Came to me because he had seen me, you know, interviewed. He just knew that I was a female sportscaster in Houston, Texas, and there weren't many. And so he said, "You know what? Find this girl, you know, bring her in for an interview."
1: Was there any hesitation that you wanted that you wanted to do this?
0: Yes, because back in the day when you worked for a
1: you were television trying to network, t- take yourself seriously. Exactly,
0: no one did commercials, you know, you weren't really allowed or ever expected to do commercials. I mean, everything has changed because, and, and nor did you work for another network. The only reason that I could even explore it was because the Gladiator show aired on NBC here in town. It was a syndicated show, so any, any network could buy it across the country, but it was syndicated and NBC here used it. So that's why they allowed me to do it was to take the month of June off from KPRC. They didn't pay me. I took a leave of absence, like a sabbatical for a month to go take the shows in Los Angeles. The the GM at the time, Steve Wasserman liked the idea because I was national and I was local at this. in. but then he wasn't happy because the Rockets were going to the NBA finals. It just so happened that then he was angry about that. But the reaction, but the reality was they started putting their news anchors to cover once they got to the championship, you know, they want to put their news people out there. Their sports people. They don't. They don't need to promote. They want to promote their news because everybody's watching. So, by the second championship, the news anchors and the news reporters had taken over everything anyway. So it really wasn't a big deal. And he just wanted, uh, you know, whatever. Well, what, fact, it, what was what
1: get... was yours? I mean, like who, who all did you cross? Do you remember who all you crossed? Pat oh, it was funny. Yes. Well, um time.
0: Oliver, the movie maker.
1: Oh, Oliver, Oliver Stone. Stone. Yeah, he
0: he was a huge fan. He came. He would come to the taping. Pat O'Brien came to the set because the second year taping, the longtime sportscaster. He. The funny thing was, he was a little, a little arrogant when he was walking around because it was back in the day where not everybody. Cra- and then he ended up doing that show, like Inside Hollywood or something. I yeah. mean, it had me. I just thought back about it, but he. Um, but because he knew the producer of the show, who's a really good guy, and and Pat O'Brien um, came. In fact the producer of the Gladiators, and did that other show, Inside Edition, or whatever it was, and Pat anchored that for that that same producer um, later. But um, Alan Pinkett, we had a Notre Dame versus USC competition, so we had a bunch of the ex-guys, and, and Alan Pinkett, who was playing for the Oilers, came out. It was really, really fun to have him out there. One of the funny things was I was doing a covering, a Warren Moon had you know one of a gala to raise funds when he was still playing for the oilers it was here in houston but i had been doing the taping for the gladiators out there and marcus allen and anyway I, they were at this uh warren moon thing and i remember saying something to mark like i was going to do an interview and i introducing myself i'm lisa Moske with kprc i know who you are and i said you know who i am and he goes I said gladiators <laughs> because California jocks had, a, we had a huge following with the California oh, wow. crowd. So it was, it was very funny. I mean, I guess the reach went far greater than I ever expected, but um, no, it would tape two shows a day. It was very real. They were all the gladiators. Uh, I just was watching that ninja show last night. I really had never, I've seen it once or twice, but it was, it is exactly the same kind of stuff. The gladiator arena had, except they were going against the gladiators but those kinds of crazy games and things that they were doing tests of you know physical ability um that's kind of what they had set up yeah sort of spawned a lot of
1: those types of shows and and one of the cool things if i read this right is that uh your your dressing room was mary tyler moore's old dressing room is that right
0: it was it was there's a plaque outside my dressing room that that it was mary tyler moore and she was of course, a hero of mine growing up. I mean, I loved Mary Tyler Moore. I loved the show. Of it was course. taped to Minneapolis. In, in Minneapolis.
1: Minneapolis. She's, <laughs> she's a female a, yes, reporter. She's, yes. she's trying to make it in the business. Yes. She's working against the guy oriented yes. deal in the whole thing.
0: I mean, it's just crazy how um, my life paralleled in some ways hers. I never, you know, would have died to have met her, but um, just, I just, I loved it. I loved, she threw her hat up in downtown Minneapolis, and uh, I loved, everything about her and that show.
1: This was her dressing room for the Mary Tyler Moore yeah, show. Yeah.
0: For the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah. For years. And it was a great dressing room. It had a, you know, it had a little kitchenette and had a bathroom and I was like, wow, this is so cool to have your own dressing room. The funny thing is Roseanne used the same dressing room because her show was taped on that, but, but they didn't tape it obviously at the same time. So yeah, yeah. I got that. Yeah, I got years that later. Same dressing room. Yeah.
1: Or no, what well, years later from Mary Tyler Moore, but at the same yes. time you were, you were doing that different. Just, yeah.
0: Different season. Yeah. I mean, different part of the year.
1: Yeah, and I, and my mom said she met Mary Tyler Moore with Bill Bixby, I think, back oh, in the late wow. 70s. And, and was they were sitting next to each other and she got me Bill Bixby's autograph. Oh. And, and the other crazy thing is, I, I want to say it might've been the same trip, it might've been the same. They were in some hotel, there were these famous people and uh, they saw Brent Musburger. And so I have an autograph of Brent Musburger oh from that, from this is 1978, right before, or right after Earl Campbell is drafted. And the autograph says, you know, I hope Earl Campbell does well in Houston. Oh. Signed Brent Rusberg from 1970. Oh, that's awesome! And I want to say it was the, this was the exact same place where she saw Mary Tyler Moore and Bill Bixby. But yeah, that's that's incredible. And and so uh, you know, you, you're you're doing the gladiators. Does does I forget? Does the show end, or do you just, you decide to, to to leave after a couple of years, two or three years? I
0: did it two years, and then they just made a change. They used a gladiator.
1: And you had, re- you had replaced the Dolphins legend, uh, Larry Zonka. I know, Larry
0: Zonka. I know. I felt, uh, you know, of course, you always feel bad if someone loses their job over it. But, you know, they hired a woman. And for me, I two years for me, and then they hired a gladiator. And it was kind of on the, the down, downswing of it. I think it was maybe one more year that they did it, one or two years. And then it disbanded. And then they brought it back in a different, a different form.
1: I want to ask, go back to talking about the Rockets because I want to. I wanted to ask you about Akeem and and. Uh, oh yes. Just yes. Uh, that. first of all, I, I have to tell this story that. Um, so I I get um, the job with the Rockets and working for Channel 20 and working with you on the telecast and. Um, the the the, me- the big memory for me of, of of that whole job is so the year that I'm doing this is just happens to be probably the, I think it's the worst year in the last 35 years in Rockets history they. They had Steve Francis having migraines, and it was the year after Akeem and it was the year before Yale. So, you know, it was it was kind of a disaster. Eddie Griffin would later commit suicide. Right. Jason Collins would die young from that <laughs> team. It was it, it was almost a real sad t- time. And, and and you know, so it was like Kelvin Cato and Katino Mobley and all that. Right. But when I came in to do the Rockets, um, you know, the the first thing that I had to do was because this was the year after Akeem. Is they said, you've got to put together a piece on Akeem's career because you know they're they're going to be playing Toronto in a couple of weeks, and they said go put a piece together on Akeem's career. And I'm, um, to me, it was first of all it was like oh my god, you know, because I grew up as a Rockets fan. I've I've been rooting for Akeem since I was 11 years old when he was with the Cougars. So, you know, you feel at one point oh this is really cool. At the other point oh I need to get this right Pressure. because I feel like responsibility because. If I'm sitting at home, somebody better not screw up the Akeem Olajuwon tribute. And to me, the biggest thing ever was so the Akeem tribute goes, it's about four minutes long. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, uh, I, I should put the link up oh, yeah, uh, good for, idea. in the in the description of the show. But um, I do the tribute to it to Akeem and it runs that that game. And I walk back into studio and Lisa tells me, you know, great job on the Akeem piece she said i nearly was i nearly had tears oh. and and that to me was like <laughs> that was validation that i had done a good job because if she Yay, almost Robert. had tears that, that that was perfect but oh, i, I mean akeem olajuwon what do you remember about him what is the story that sticks out of all, all the time that you had spent covering him, almost a decade
0: well a couple things you know dream was absolutely uh one of my favorites uh, uh, one of the things I remember is that Dream is Muslim and very conservative. Um, he was in that looking for a wife kind you know, behind the scenes didn't talk about that stuff. But I remember being because we were friends and we had known each other and he was respect he was very respectful. I remember walking in once and he was putting on his aftershave, you know, after he got out of the shower, he's putting dabs on his neck. I said, Wow, Dream that smells so amazing because i could smell it from i wasn't sitting i wasn't like right next to him but i was standing up and he told me it was from a prince in nigeria (laughs) i'll never forget that he was so funny i said wow and then um when i got the first the first time that it was announced that i was going to be working for nbc the national broadcast he he said to me basically what he said was lisa you know uh, much deserved long overdue you know you are great at what you do and and I'm, I'm proud of you and excited for you i mean it was like wow you realize he do- he pays attention and and he ha- i hadn't said anything to him but he knew and he found out about it and then another <laughs> charles barkley is, is still a friend of mine and he's funny and i love charles but charles is charles and he could be very inappropriate in the locker room meaning just he's loud and brash and just sometimes a little inappropriate Um, but I understood Charles's kind of sense of humor he was like a little kid he was like he's like a 17 year old boy and my sister was in town my sister Linda and he knew Linda and he said something out loud about hey you know what's your sister doing after the game or you know just something that was inappropriate well Dream caught up with me in the vomitory as we're passing some going to, I think dream was going out into the basketball court and he said, Lisa, you should not let Charles disrespect you like that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "I felt really bad. Cause I thought, Oh dream. What should I have done? But I said, you know, dream. I know. I said, but I, I feel like with Charles, you have to kind of roll with it and just let him be himself. And, and Dream was just, didn't want me, didn't want anybody else to, to think that it was okay to disrespect me, which I, you know, I understood what Dream was saying. um And I, and honestly, I think it happened after, um I think he, that he was offended by it because John Saunders... Um, you know who passed away now he was covering for Toronto because he he covered he was a broadcaster for them, the local broadcast, so he happened to be in town, and John Saunders was in the locker room, and when Charles started bellowing out in the middle of the locker room you know john didn't really know who i was i think dream was worried that other people would think like well, what is that all about he's asking about lisa's sister what does she go out and <laughs> they go party with John? <laughs> no i mean dream knew that wasn't the case we, we never i never went out with the players um he always had my back and um he's just really it holds a special place in my heart and he gave he gave me a jersey a signed jersey and i only have two one from clyde and one from dream and the signed Hakeem is in my son Dylan's room, and Lukey has the other hanging in his closet.
1: <laughs> you got to have a, a, a funnier Barkley story. There's, there's got to be something from, from Barkley that – because, you know, he was always doing some – saying some crazy stuff, I'm sure. And-
0: well, I mean, okay, Charles – The funny. I mean, it, I don't know that it's funny, but the charming thing about Charles is that I was pregnant with Dylan, who is now 18, my first baby. Dylan was born in December christmas eve december 24th 1999 and that year charles was playing for the playing for the rockets and and a girlfriend of mine had a shower it was a couples shower so i told a couple of the guys i told I told, you know, Akeem, but knew knowing he'd never come. And I told Clyde to, he, he and his wife were welcome to come. I mean, they're just friends. And I told Charles, I said, hey, we're having the shower. Who shows up? Charles Barkley. He's in a tuxedo because he'd been at another event. But he came and he was hilarious and charming. And there were martinis flowing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure that he drank anything. He may have had it before. He well, came. there was
1: always stories with him in Houston where he'd walk into a bar and buy drinks for everybody. Yeah,
0: And do you know, here's the other thing. He came, he was charming, mixed with everybody. There was an easy crowd, good friends. Um, it was incredible. I'll show you a picture of that later. But of course, then I had Dylan in December and my whole family was in town. My two sisters, Linda, who he knew, and my sister Tammy, um, their husbands. And he always had a New Year's party and he was playing for the Rockets and so he invited all the Rockets people and the staff and I couldn't go obviously I just had Dylan and but he said tell your sisters to come and Linda and Tammy and their husbands walked in and he they said he could not have been more charming walked out with bottles of Cristal champagne put it on the counter I mean he was just incredibly generous Um, and another time after you know, the, the year after that, when I wasn't pregnant again, um, Don and I went to the New Year's party, and he was—he's just wonderful. He does—he pays for everything. It's a party that no one has to pay a dime for, and he—the champagne is rolling. There's food. There's dancing. He was just—he's very, very generous.
1: I would guess there's no surprise that him and Kenny have become as big a deal. I mean, you were being around those guys. Yes. They, they they were personalities. They had this they had that gene, that broadcast gene when you when you were around them.
0: Absolutely. They were great interviews. What you love about them is that they said what they were thinking about. As much as I love Clyde Drexler, he's so predictable. He wouldn't be a great person, I don't think, on the on the desk to give color because he's careful because that's who he is. Kenny and Charles are people who say what they're thinking. And to me, I just thought they were excellent this year. They they think they keep getting better. Kenny in particular. Um, I love how he breaks the game down and I don't know this to be true, but I, I, I watched him this year and I thought, I just can't imagine he's not angling for a coaching job. Maybe he doesn't want to coach, but I think he would be an amazing coach because I think he really, he, he does know the game and he's was coached, you know, I mean, he played at North Carolina. He's got great pedigree you know, as a, as a you know, potential coach.
1: What's it like to watch the Rockets now as if, as you don't, you, you're not involved, right. uh, you see them. And, and of course, I mean, everybody's going to want me to ask, you know, what did you think of this season? You know, what do you think of this team? About what happened? Yeah.
0: I, I don't, I don't have a lot of time with two boys and they're both athletes and, and busy, busy with my production company that I don't watch a lot of games during this season, but I did watch closely during the playoffs because that was fun and school was out and it was just awesome. I thought they would pull it out. I think James Harden is a phenomenal player. There's no question about that. I mean, phenomenal, but I'm not certain he is. And I don't know him and I wouldn't want to offend him, but as a person, former player, former broadcaster, person who's watched a lot of basketball, my only question is I wonder if he's a leader if he's a if he's a real the kind of leader that it takes to get to the down the finish line LeBron James and has been unbelievable he is uh, again I don't watch a lot during during the year I really don't very little I I I just I I don't know
1: and you watched dream rise to the occasion during the playoffs every single time and I guess yes. that's that's what everybody wonders with James is, does he have that ability? I right. mean, he has a game here or there, but consistently on a, on a nightly basis. He just, in the, in the playoffs, it's not the same as what Olajuwon would do when it, when everything was on the line.
0: I think that what I found frustrating is, um, and it would be interesting to have a conversation with him, a candid conversation behind the scenes, because I'm, I'm sure, you know, as everybody everybody who's been on a team knows, a lot happens. There's a just always a lot happening behind the scenes but with the Rockets for instance I mean and I had this conversation with a few people you had Dream inside and Dream was phenomenal those two years beyond phenomenal when the game was on the line you you know you could count on him however if he's if if the team was going to the opposing team was going to decide that the way to beat the Rockets was to stop Dream the other guy stepped up and you had Matt Bullard who was the sharpshooter. You had Mario Ellie, the sharpshooter in The Kiss of Death. Kenny Smith, who was a long-time, I mean, dependable shooter. The first year was Vernon Maxwell and then Clyde Drexler, for heaven's sakes. I mean, so many people who were consistently great. And the Rockets, I'm sure that any expert will tell you, the guys around James were great in moments, but not as consistently dependable. They didn't have the years of history and being on the court that, that and still Rockets with chris did. paul
1: healthy they and probably exactly win right. the series it is anyway
0: right and I, and I really thought that they would be cleveland i i did yeah. i thought they would be cleveland because i thought but i will tell you i thought they would be cleveland because i just didn't imagine how lebron james could keep going and he does yeah. poor guy i mean now they're down i mean i just you know i love golden state too uh, kevin durant has been I interviewed, I interviewed i introduced his mother at a luncheon she's a dynamo and kevin durant has sincerely that that last game last night was was it last night Cheapers? anyway uh, uh the game 3 was uh he was amazing
1: a couple last things is there a best moment for you as a broadcaster in all the years that you did it
0: probably the most exciting moment was the very first season of the WNBA because had you told me, I played D3 basketball at St. Olaf College. I was a center on the team. No, we, were, we actually had a good team. We were ranked 13th in the nation my junior year. That was just because we just happened to have a group of girls together. No one recruited back then. It was D3. Anyway, who would have thought a girl who played D3 basketball would be on the podium announcing and, and talking to Val Ackerman, the president of the WNBA, to present the trophy? I got to do that on national television after that, in that first year of the WNBA, it was here in Houston. The Comets won. I was that person who got to do the, you know, welcome everybody back. We're on the, we're on the stage and put the microphone to Val. And she presented the trophy to Van Chancellor and, you know, Cynthia Cooper. I, I That was surreal because um, as a female and as a former basketball player to have Lived through and worked those crowds and been to all those WNBA games with um, seeing the response to the WNBA. It was just really really cool.
1: One of the things that uh, I was thinking about is uh, you grew up in Minnesota and you went to Saint Olaf, and Saint Olaf is for people of I guess my age and maybe a little bit <laughs> Golden younger. girls? The Golden <laughs> Girls. <laughs> when you see out on the Golden Girls that Betty White is from St. Olaf it's, right. and, and it wasn't a town it, you were, I think St. Olaf is in, in Northfield. Northfield. Yeah. Northfield, something. Minnesota. North yeah. Hill. Yeah. Very good. And, and what did you think? when you, would you see St. Olaf is being mentioned on Golden oh, It hilarious. becomes a big deal. You know,
0: when I first got here in 1991, The Golden Girls was a huge hit. I mean, it must have still been on the air at the time because everywhere I went to speak and I was there, I got asked to speak at a lot of different places because as a female sportscaster, a lot of high schools, a lot of, you know, different places. Inevitably, the first question was, so is that Betty White? Is that St. Olaf? Is that the same St. Olaf? (laughs)
1: And I think there is well, a St. Olaf village, right? That there's, it's, it's called, well, I looked it up on Google. I don't know if this is right. It's like a St. Olaf village or something like that. Well, Near maybe Minneapolis, there was. But in another area, it's called St. Olaf village. It's not St. Oh, Olaf. I don't even know. City. I
0: don't even know about that. I mean, St. Olaf college has, was started in the, eight late eighteen hundreds by Norwegian immigrants in and it's in Northfield, Minnesota, about forty five minutes south of the Twin Cities. Kind of
1: Presbyterian schools uh, Lutheran. Lutheran. Started school, by Lutherans,
0: yep. Yep. And St. Olaf and Carleton, they're both private schools. They're both in Northfield and forty five minutes south of they're part of the MIAC the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Association and uh, the conference and a um, uh, strong conference. And they're all, it's Carlton, St. Olaf, St. Thomas, where my son's going to go to school. University of St. Thomas is going to play lacrosse. Tommies have become the big dogs in the conference. They The St. Thomas football team beats St. Olaf like 90 something to nothing or some such thing. And we always were a little bit tweezed. <laughs> I had a hard time believing I was going to send my son to St. Thomas after having what known what they did to the poor olies but st thomas has um they've really be, been developing their athletic program and so for my son to play you know they have a great lacrosse team they're a club team but they just played for the national championship and they lost they lost to north dakota state so they got some strong lacrosse up there in minnesota now those hockey kids
1: yeah <laughs> lac- lac- lacrosse people in houston are like what, what, is, what are you what are you talking about uh, exactly um, so anyway <laughs> you you're from duluth and i hate to say this but I, from what I read read, you're the second most famous sports broadcaster from Duluth because Vern Lundquist is was born in Duluth from what I read. Was
0: he born in Ver- was he born in Duluth? I didn't even realize that. I, I I worked with Vern and he's incredible. I mean, of course, we've been Westerners, you know. We're we're nice it's it's called Minnesota Nice and it's for real. Um but well I'm glad I'm happy to to know that I'm the second most famous because I'll I'll be second <laughs> to Vern any day.
1: Lundquist <laughs> is a pretty <laughs> It's a pretty viking sounding uh, like Minnesota oh, isn't sounding that the name. Truth? It's, it's it's about as about yes, as much as possible. It is. So, uh okay, so why did you leave sports broadcasting? Did, was that a conscious decision? Was it because of your your you family. had to start having kids and family?
0: Right. You know, um the Rockets it wasn't my choice to leave the Rockets. They made a change, and it was Cynthia. They brought Cynthia Cooper in to do color, and that was two years. And Jeff Haggardon, who had been doing radio, but I Dylan was four and Luke was two. I, I remember having the conversation with the Rockets. We had been on the road those two years. We did for two years. We did all the shows on the road. And I don't know if it was if we were out of studio space. It may have been it started because we didn't have a studio space, and then everybody liked what it looked like on the road. But my kid, I mean, it was really, really hard to be on the road for, you know, 41 games because half of, them, of the 82-game schedule, you're on the road. And they talked about the fact that, well, you're going to have to be on the road again, and they knew I didn't want to be on the road. So... Um, I went back and filled in at Channel 2. They they needed help. And then I went back and filled in for the Rockets because they were shorthanded. So, you know, I mean, one thing I do tell young people is don't burn bridges because you never know. I mean, it was really fun to go back. And it was important for me, honestly, to be home at that time for the boys. I'm grateful for that opportunity. I was a sportscaster and I worked in television, but that wasn't who I am. Lisa Malosky has, I mean, I loved that. But since that time, sports isn't my life. I love that I got to coach my boys. I've coached both of them in basketball, and that was awesome and fun. And again, one of the few women doing that, which was kind of fun. But because I took that time off, I didn't really want to leave Houston. I didn't really, it wasn't really that important. I got a job offer in Denver to work um, after the Rockets ended right away to go out to Denver and kind of do the same thing. And I remember my dad saying to me, after we, I said, yes, I said, I'm going to go. We're going to go. Because Don's a skier, my husband's a skier, and the thought of being out there. Denver's a beautiful city, and it felt a lot, felt a lot like Minnesota, great bike paths and stuff like that. But my dad said, and I told him what I was going to be doing, and he said, well, haven't you done all that? And I thought, he's right. What do I need to prove to another city that I'm good at what I do? I just need to figure out what I want to do. It's going to make me happy. So it took a little time to think about it. I do a lot. I was doing a lot of emceeing. I started noticing that a lot of these events had videos that went along to help promote the program. And back, you know, when I was first seeing this 10 whatever years ago, I remember saying to a good friend of mine who's very involved with with nonprofits here, I said, "Well, surely someone's donated that video." And she said, "Oh no, those nonprofits are paying for that." And I came home to Don and I said, "Hey, we have to help these people. I, said, we, I mean, if they're paying, that's they need something better." So anyway, that's how this whole video production company started. And 90 plus, ninety plus percent of our work is for nonprofits. We do videos that people use on their for promotion in their on their websites. And Then they it plays at the gala, and so you know. It started with relationships of organizations that I'm personally involved with, and then expanded. And so um, we both. I mean, Don was a little hesitant at first because Don's a national television camera. He's 60 minutes, 2020s, 20, 20. traveled to every continent in the world except Antarctica, and he'd go tomorrow if if someone needed him. Um, but I think it surprised him even more than me the satisfaction we get out of helping nonprofits and getting to know um, these kind of organizations and uh, th- that we've been doing the last pretty strongly last seven years
1: and i this is a podcast so i know you guys can't see lisa but it's been 16 (laughs) years she looks exactly the same oh
0: you're too sweet
1: (laughs) and uh just uh you can you'll see you find her you're you're on twitter so uh what's your twitter handle
0: uh it's lisa Milosky.
1: so yeah you you got you got pictures up there so people can see
0: not very active on twitter a lot more on facebook but i I do have a lisa Milosky productions facebook page yes
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for doing My this, and I, and I miss you. So much and fun, I miss Robert. doing the thank Rockets, you. of course. I know
0: it was fun. It was a great, it was a great time. Although you're right, that that year was a little weird. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was a unique way, But you said it, and as you can see, I I still have a lot of the memorabilia from that because that's uh you, you'll see it as a, around the house a few things.
1: Yeah, she's got some bobbleheads and some <laughs> some basketball sign and all sorts of cool stuff like that. Well, well, uh, fantastic. Fun.
0: Thanks, Robert.
1: Thanks again for listening, and if you're new to the show, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app. You can keep up with this show and my daily Locked On Texans podcast on Twitter and Facebook, or by going to HoustonSportsTalk.net or LockedOnTexans.com.